Hi, and thank you for your loyalty in listening to the Noggin Notes podcast. I'm Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your normal host, and I'm here to explain to you this encore presentation of Emotions Overview Part 1. The Thanksgiving holiday left all of us a little bit under the weather and took a lot of time out of the day. So instead of doing a fresh one this week, we ask for your grace and forgiveness in allowing us to reboot this encore presentation of Emotions Overview Part 1 and uh, hope that you find it just as invigorating as the first time you heard it. And if you're hearing this for the first time, well, welcome to the podcast. This is a great place to start. Thanks again, and we wish all of you a wonderful December and happy holidays. Hey, it's Jake Wiskirsch, and welcome to the Noggin Notes podcast. This is episode number two. Noggin Notes podcast aims to educate and enrich your noggin on all matters of mental health and wellness. Episode number two is going to discuss emotional functioning, and although there are 10 discrete emotions that we experience as human beings, we're going to get into those in subsequent episodes. We're not going to go over all of them here because that would take way too long, and we pride ourselves on being pithy and short with our podcasts. After all, in this day and age, everybody's attention span is short, so we figured we'd just play into that. So today's episode, we're going to dive into some emotional functioning and discuss the difference between cognition or thinking and emotion or feeling. And the episode is sponsored by Zephyr Wellness. Check out ZephyrWellness.org to learn more about how Zephyr is bringing an innovative and philanthropic approach to mental health practice. I'm broadcasting from the United States of America, but we understand that we have an international audience. So at the end of the show, we're going to give you some resources internationally to help out with anything that you may be struggling with. For now, we're going to launch into the idea that uh, we have emotions and we have thinking. And so while you're listening to this, I want to picture in your minds, if you will, two tanks connected by a mutual pipe. They could be any any tanks of any size, but, but you've got two tanks, and they're connected by a mutual pipe. And if you imagine pressure on one tank, it's going to be pushing down so that the fluid flows into the other tank. If this makes sense, then raise your hand. Great. Everybody raise their hands. I'm doing well. So as one tank, the full tank, is, uh, is, has got a, a lot of fluid in it, we'll call that thinking. And uh, the other tank will be called feeling. And, you, and if this were a whiteboard exercise, I would put a little T above the full tank, a little F above the lower, less full tank. Now this is how our, our brains work when we're in normal, reasonable, rational mode of thinking. So right now, I'm talking to you over this podcast. We're discussing a little bit of really rudimentary neuroscience, and you should be in a reason-based mindset. That means that the frontal lobe, uh, and and I'm tapping at the front of my brain right now. Well, I'm not tapping at the front of my brain. That would be disgusting and probably very strange. I'm actually tapping at the front of my skull, and you can't see that because this is a podcast. But if you can imagine the frontal lobe doing the thinking for you. That's the reason, that's the logic, that's the cognition. Now, in the middle to rear section of your brain, that's where feeling and emotion exist, and it's something called the limbic system. And that part of your brain is very quiet right now because you're you're listening along and, and you're, you're interested and you're curious. Now, those are two emotions, and I'll get to those in another episode. But for right now, just know that, that you're, as you're analyzing the information coming through your ears, most of the work is being done by the frontal part of your brain. It's not that your feeling shuts off completely, but it definitely diminishes. Now, 
If I were to uh, throw a marker at you, because uh, that's what I tend to do when I'm teaching this with the whiteboard, because I have markers in my hand, I'll throw a marker at somebody, and they'll usually jump, or they'll flinch, or maybe a hand will fly up and catch the marker. Uh, in that moment, what ends up happening is your feeling activates and your thinking diminishes. You just react to the marker. You don't think about it. You don't analyze it. You don't consider it. You just flinch. Uh, and some people who are cultivated in sports culture, uh, they, they may snatch it out of the air uh, knowing that a flying object is to be caught or whatever. But again, they don't think about it. And so if you go back to those two tanks that I had you imagine, in that brief instant when the marker is flying through the air at, at the person's face or chest or whatever, those tanks invert and the pressure goes down on the thinking part and goes goes up on the feeling part and what ends up happening is just for a moment uh, about three to nine seconds in fact is all the time that the emotion lasts in your brain those tanks invert so you don't have any control over whether or not you feel something and in this case it would probably be the feeling of surprise you just feel it and then three to nine seconds later you return to thinking about whatever's going on around you. And typically when I conduct this exercise in front of people, they, they laugh and then they throw the marker back to me and I catch it and then I move on with the lesson and I point out that they're not still stuck in the surprise of having a marker thrown at them. They have re-regulated and they've returned to cognition. So the tanks go back. The levels, the levels move back to high on the thinking or T side and low on the feeling or F side. Now the question arises, why do we stay stuck in emotion longer than three to nine seconds? Why do people struggle with things like depression or anxiety? Why, why do we have mood swings? Well, simply put, the environment doesn't cause all of your emotions, although that's what was studied for about 50 years by a guy named Carol Izzard out of the University of Delaware. What he found out was that our 10 discrete emotions that we all possess, all humans have this, and we've all had them since you know 40,000 years ago when we were all cavemen and women, we have 10 discrete emotions. They all serve a function to tell us what's going on in the environment. So if a marker flies at your face or a snake crawls across your foot or an earthquake happens or uh, a hurricane hits or, or uh, your, your best friend jumps out of the bushes and surprises you with, uh, you know, with, with uh, flowers, that would be weird. I don't know why my best friend would surprise me with flowers by jumping out of the bushes. But, but either way, our emotions and our limbic system tell us what's going on in the environment. They serve an adaptive function, meaning we have to adapt to what's going on. It tells the brain to do something to respond. And I'll get into all those in, in subsequent episodes, like I said. But once that event passes, what should happen is the brain re-regulates, it analyzes what's going on, and then responds appropriately to the environment. So when we stay stuck in emotion, what ends up happening is the frontal part of our brain, the part we, that we can control, the thinking, the feeling, the cognition, that part sticks on the event. We return to it, and then we relive it. So what we're doing is we're literally altering our own brain chemistry by what we focus our attention on. So if I think back to the snake that crossed my path, or I think back to the marker that was thrown at me, then I can stay stuck in that by reliving it over and over and over, whether it was surprise or fear or excitement or whatever it was. Similarly, I can turn my attention to future events that have yet to happen, 
And I can live in that emotion anticipating what might happen. So if I'm on a baseball field and we're nearing the end of the game, I can anticipate winning the game and I can feel a sense of excitement even though the game is not over, even though it's not complete, even though we have not actually won it. I can channel that type of emotional functioning into the present moment. So what we want to do is we want to try to be present in every moment, one moment to the next as they pass throughout our, our time you know, in the day. If we don't, if we allow our attention to drift to the past or to the future, what we end up risking is a false sense of emotional functioning that then gets played out in, in various forms. So, for example, if I bring in negative energy into an interaction that has nothing to do with the person that I'm now speaking with, it's probably because I focus my attention on something else prior to that interaction. I may have had a bad day at the office or maybe somebody cut me off on the road. And then uh, I get out of my car and I walk in and I talk to somebody else and I'm just irritated. And I bring that irritation in with me. It's because I'm not fully present for the person in front of me. If I turn my attention to the person in front of me, all that stuff about whatever happened beforehand doesn't carry with me. So we have an incredible amount of power that we possess in our minds in order to focus our attention on that which we want to experience rather than that which we have either already experienced or have yet to experience. And by the way, there's a there's a, an idea in our field that says that depression is you know generically con- coined as when we focus on something and we fixate our thoughts on a, an event in the past that has already happened that we can't do anything about. We stay stuck there and we fixate our thoughts and we relive that that sadness of whatever happened. And and generically, anxiety is when we put our focus and when we fixate our thoughts on something in the future that is yet to happen. So if you're struggling with anxiety or depression, think about where your attention is spent most of the time. If you're struggling with anxiety, chances are you're anticipating something in the future that has yet to happen. And if you're struggling with depression, it might be an indicator that you're struggling with with, uh, moving your thoughts off something in the past that has already happened. Can't change the past and we can't change the future. All we can do is live in the present. I'm really excited to get into more emotional functioning as we go down the road. We'll discuss the 10 discrete emotions of sadness, fear, anger, uh, joy, guilt, disgust, shame, contempt, and excitement, and surprise as we go through these episodes, and I'll explain the adaptive functions of, of all of them. So I'm going to wrap up because I promised you that it would be short. We like to keep things under about 10 minutes or so if we can. And if you enjoyed this, we encourage you to go give us a rating and a review at iTunes or in the Google Play Store or any other podcast app on which you may be listening to this. And reminder that this is not a substitute for professional counseling. So if, if this stirs something within you, if it shakes something loose and you want to go, go analyze this further, we really encourage you to do so. There are some great websites that you can access in the United States. There's psychologytoday.com, aamft.org, which has a therapist locator. And in Europe, you can go to mind.org.uk or sane.org.uk and uh, seek some professional help. There are those of us out there who are licensed and have practiced thousands of hours doing exactly what I'm doing right now, which is educating and nourishing your mind. So for Zephyr Wellness and for Noggin Notes, I'm Jake Wiskirchen, and I look forward to speaking with you yet again on the next episode of the Noggin Notes podcast. I wish you great mental health.